need to. What are some different influences that make us act in certain ways? Because we all have them, right? Um, there's different things that make you act a, a different way, it seems like. Um, let me see if I can figure out your influences. Um, here's, you don't have to raise your hand, but you can if you want. Um, what does this look like? What, what would this be called? When you listen to a majority of a group uh, around you because they really are they're pouring it on and they are, you, want them, they, you want to go along with them because you want to fit in and you want to do what they want you to do. Or maybe you make a decision that you wouldn't necessarily make on your own because you give in to the group, maybe just a group of two or three, but you still give in to their opinions, right? That, that would be called peer pressure, right? And not, peer pressure is not always bad, right? It, it can be a good thing that if you have those influences that help you act or behave in a certain way, that's a good thing. Here's another one that I'm sure that many, many experienced maybe some longer ago than others. <clears throat> when you walk down a certain hallway at school because you memorized where she was going to walk out of her class just so you could walk by, right? Or taking the long way home just so you could drive by his house, even if he wasn't there, right? Uh, staying up way too late at night on the phone and having to get up way too early in the morning because you just couldn't, you know, you hang up. No, you hang up, right? Yeah. Raise your hand if you did. You did it. Even if you didn't raise your hand, you were all there at one point, right? Now they just text each other the whole time. But they still do it. No, you stop texting. No, you stop texting. So um, that love, right, that whatever you want to call it, puppy love, or that makes you act in a different way. That influence on you makes you act in a different way. And there's other, uh, those are just two examples, but there's other, right? Drugs and alcohol, that's an influence on you. It causes you to act in a different way. Bullying, if you're bullied as a kiddo at school um, or as an adult at work or whatever, it causes you to act differently. That's an influence. If you live in a state of fear over something or someone, it causes you to behave in a different way, doesn't it? Um, living up to expectations, that's another influence on your life that causes you to act differently. And uh, the list just goes on and on. So here's the question, and this is just going to dangle out there all day today. If we were to ask a person that's not a Jesus follower, an unbeliever, someone who's not a Christian, if we were to ask them what type of behavior would influence you to follow Jesus, what do you think they would say? And we're not answering that question today. That's just for you to kick around. But all these influences that we are going to talk about, the way that we act, and the influences that impact the way that we act, um, it changes who we are sometimes, right? So what would it take for, uh, what, what would a non-believer say it would take for them to change their way. So right now we're in the middle of this series called uh, Belong, and we're talking about what it looks like to belong before 
we believe, and it revolves around following Jesus uh, and how following Jesus can help us take the next step of faith. That's what we want to do. In our journey, we just want to take the next step of faith, whatever that looks like. And it looks like different stuff for all of us, right? Um, depending on where we, are, where we are in our journey. And it can help us as individuals to create space to belong for others, right? Or it can create space for us to belong and, and believe. And just like we talked about last week, we believe in different stages. We, it takes a longer for some. Um, so that timeline for the way that we believe, it, it's longer for others than it is for you maybe. But it's absolutely necessary, right? It's absolutely necessary that we believe if we want to spend eternity in heaven. So today, <clears throat> I want to share how faith and following Jesus and our behavior can all be connected. But not always in the reasons that you might think, okay? So uh, I'm just going to use my own life as an example, all right? I grew up in a Christian home. Now, many of you might have heard some of these things. Some of you might have heard all of these things. You never know. But I grew up in a Christian home. My grandpa was a pastor and a farmer. And um, my dad was a pa- is a pastor and a farmer, and he still is. Uh, and I accepted Jesus as a little boy. I was very young, okay? And growing up, I went to Sunday school. Why? Because my dad was a pastor, right? Grandpa was a pastor. Grandpa was the pastor. Dad was the worship pastor. And when Grandpa passed away, Dad took over for him. So I went to Sunday school, and then I went to church. And I got spanked twice a day, right, at church because I couldn't sit still. And we didn't have cool things like kids' church to keep us engaged, right? So I got spanked. That's the way it went, man. Okay, welcome to the 80s. Well, kids. Um, So I, uh, I I got an education about the Scripture from flannel graph boards, right? Who remembers flannel graphs, right? Yeah. So I learned about all the stories of the Bible through these little guys that stuck up on the board, on the felt board. And um, I memorized tons of scripture through Awana. We did Awana clubs when I was, in, when I was a kid. Uh, all stuff that is foundational for me. Now, I learned it in the King James Version, which is a little different now. Um, but it's foundational for the way that um, I know scripture today, even. And I sang all the songs in Sunday school. Uh, I knew all the words, and I knew all the words to the hymns in big church and everything. And as I got older, and I grew up and got into middle school and high school, um, I would even get to lead worship. And as Dad was pastor, he said, "Hey, why don't you uh, pick out a couple of hymns and and you sing and you lead the wor- you lead worship." And when I went to school, I didn't I didn't stay out late. I didn't. Uh, Hang out with all the bad kids, not that there was a lot of those in Bonner Springs, Kansas, okay? Uh, at least that I knew, all right? Again, um, I didn't have those influences around me. I would occasionally be late for curfew, which is kind of weird because I didn't have a curfew. Um, I just knew that if I wasn't home by 11, I'd be in trouble, you know? So if that wasn't a curfew, I don't know what was. I just knew that I didn't have a curfew. Um, but it was uncomfortable if I got home late, later than 11, uh, and, you know, as the years went by, but l- let me tell you this first. I was not perfect. I was a good boy. I wasn't perfect. And I do not want you to see the low light reel. You know what I'm saying? I don't think anybody would want us to put up the things that we do that nobody wants to see, right? So don't only paint the, the wrong picture. 
I'm far from perfect. I was far from perfect as a kid. And, and, uh, but I'll let you know why I was a good old boy. Okay, I was a good boy for all those years. You know why, don't you? You know, I'm thinking, well, God was leading him. You know, I, I accepted Jesus as a young kiddo, and I followed him. I knew all the answers. I knew where the scriptures were. When we had a sword drill, I could find it faster than anybody and stand up and read it faster than anyone. And I would go to camp, and I would read it and do it faster than anyone. And I would go to quizzes, and I would answer all the questions right. Now, we weren't a very big church, but I could quiz out of everything and get second place on my own. I knew the answers. I was awesome, right? But you know why I was a good kid? God was kind of leading me, I guess. You know, my, you might be thinking, well, the Holy Spirit was just, he was with him the whole time. And you're right, you're totally right. But in my heart, for sure, in my head, I knew why I was a good boy. And you know why? It wasn't because I lived in fear of what God could do. It was because I lived in fear of Mark. He sat right there last week. My dad, right? My mom and dad. I, I lived in fear of Mark and Ruth and what the consequences would be if I let them down, if I disappointed them, if I broke the rules, right? I wasn't scared of God. I didn't know what that even meant a whole lot of times. Now, um, I mean, I was more scared of those consequences, not, from, not the godly consequences, but more from mom and dad. Now, we could probably have a little deeper discussion, I'm sure, about how God, through my parents, kept me from being such a mess, right? Um, but my behavior was influenced deeply by that outside source, right? But by an outcome that, I, that had more to do with me worrying about cleaning out the sheep barn full of manure the next day if I got caught doing whatever I was doing than actually what the actual consequences were about, right? So, um, and, and we do that, it wasn't about what was the right thing to do, it was just what I didn't want to have to do for the consequences. And when you're 13, 14, 15, 16, I guess you could probably keep going, 30, 40, whatever, you make dumb decisions, right? Have you ever made a dumb decision? Yeah, probably, I did yesterday probably. Your behavior is influenced so easy when you're that age. That's why it's imperative that we pray for our kids. That's why last week we wrote names on, of car, on cards and everybody came forward. And we pray for our kids throughout the school year. That when they engage with other kids that have those, all those influences on them, that they make the right decisions. And are they going to do it all the time? Absolutely not. Because nobody's going to make them all the time. I don't. Still. And, and so we want them to, um, we're just hoping that what we teach them in our kids' area, in our, in our anchor youth, and what you teach them at home will be the foundation in their faith that they have to lean on when they're tested on Tuesday morning and they're getting tempted with this and that. And, hey, let's go skip this and let's take this and let's drink. No. That's what we want them to do. We want them to be able to have something that they can rely on. And my faith, obviously, it changed, right? I grew up. I matured as a person and as a Christian. And I followed, uh, as, and as I followed, and I took the next step of faith and the next step of faith, and, and I followed some more, I understood the way, uh, I, stood, I just understood way better 
what God was showing me and what he wanted me to be as a person and as a Christian and as a follower of Jesus Christ. And the stories that I heard as a kiddo, they became so much more different then than they were then. Then it was just a really cool story about how Jacob dreamt about a, you know, angels going up and down the stairway. That's cool, right? Or Ehud, the left-handed judge, which is my favorite story in the whole Bible because he's left-handed and so am I. And he stabs the king in the belly and nasty comes out, right? It's just gross. But it's a cool story. And, um, and there's lots of cool stories in the Bible. You should read it sometime. Um, but they all just had a different meaning when your faith matures and it starts to affect the way that you behave. And those influences that you, you saw one way in your life become different in another way. And it just became more than a fun story on a flannel graph board, right? And so we have this process that we've been following um, throughout the last few weeks of belong and believe and behave and become. And we followed this book, uh, uh, these concepts from a book. But behaving is this, the way that we act. And it's personal and it's pivotal to helping others belong. And that's what we want. We want to create space in our hearts. And we want to create space in this place for people to belong before they believe. And then it affects the way they behave. But it all, it all turns on this journey and this this invitation that we've been given from Jesus to follow him, right? And so ironically, this behave part is what we're talking about today. Um, if you missed the last two weeks, you can go back on Facebook and watch it or the podcast or whatever. But today we're talking about behavior. And, you know, this, this behave stuff um, is something that we here in this church, we talk about all the time. Okay, let me see if this sounds familiar to you if you've been around a little while. We are called to extend grace to our world, welcoming with open arms each person like Christ opened his arms to us. We are called to show love to our neighbor because people matter to God and are made in the image of God. We are called to serve others in our church, in our families, in our neighborhoods with a humble and authentic heart. Does that sound familiar to anybody? To extend grace, to show love, to serve others. That's the vision that we have for being disciples, being followers of Jesus that are making more disciples. So we want to unpack those behaviors a little bit today. Um, When we extend grace, these are all things that are outward, right? And when we extend grace and show love and serve others, they're things that we do. Right? And that's what a behavior is. It's an action. When we extend grace, we're carrying out the very thing that God does for us. So grace, this, it's this, this receiving something that we don't deserve. right? And, and we deserve death because the wages of sin is death and we're all sinners. So we deserve death. But because Jesus humbled himself, which we'll talk about here in a second when we talk about serving others... Um, because Jesus humbled himself and offered himself as a perfect sacrifice for our sins, for my sins, and, and paid for those, grace is extended to us by God. And when grace is extended, behavior changes. And, um, 
when our behavior changes, so do our lives. So there's an example, and we're not going to go there today, but um, I'll just kind of unpack it for us. In John chapter 4, there's, there's an um, encounter that Jesus has with a Samaritan woman. And he, he goes to the well. Um, he sends his disciples in to get some food, and he hangs out at the well. And she comes out at noon, which was not the right, right time to come out to the well. And um, I encourage you, if you have time this week, go to John chapter 4, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John, the fourth book of the New Testament, and just read it um, and kind of go through this encounter. But Jesus has this conversation with a Samaritan woman. It's a hard conversation, and it's, it's not pretty. And he talks about her lifestyle, which who wants to have that conversation with a stranger, Right? Let's talk about the people you hang out with and the people that you encounter. You know, we don't want to do that. All right? We barely want to talk about the weather with a stranger. So Jesus has this hard conversation about her lifestyle. And she, through this, this conversation, she sees Jesus for who he is, the Messiah. She says, we've, been, we've heard about this guy. We've heard about this person. And he says, the person you're talking about? That's me. And, and immediately, because she sees him for the, being the Messiah, her behavior changes. And she runs off and tells people, hey, come and see this guy. Come and see this guy. He told me everything I ever did. Right? And she starts to be a disciple that's making disciples right after she kind of believes who he is. Right? It doesn't take long. Her behavior changed. All because Jesus, through one conversation, extends grace to a Samaritan woman. You think about it in those times, first century, Samaritan and Judeans did not get along. Judeans would walk all the way around the country of Samaria just so they wouldn't have to set foot in that place. Um, women did not get uh, the time of day in that day and age because they were, they were not considered high enough to even speak to. So Jesus speaking to a woman in general at that time was a big deal. But a Samaritan woman, racial tension galore, all right? Then five-time adulterer, right? Big deal, and, which is punishable by death, typically only for the woman, even though it takes two to adult, right? Um, and those, those, those are just the things that John chose to write about, Okay? There's always something more to the story, right? I told you my story just a little bit about how I was a good boy all the way through high school. Did I tell you the rest of the story? Am I going to tell you the rest of the story? Not a chance. No. But there's always more, right? You have more, right? So... Um, if, if we're really transparent, the real stuff is what we need the grace for. And because of that grace, her life was changed. And so did the way that she acted. And then she began to extend grace as well. And then we show love. So we extend grace and we show love. And um, we show love, we're simply obeying the greatest command ever given. And if you come to this church um, for three weeks in a row, you'll probably hear me say this verse at least twice. But uh, John in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. 
as I have loved you, you must love one another. Okay? This is Jesus speaking. He gives a new command that would have been a big deal because there was only one person who gave commands, right? It was, it was God. And God gives ten commandments. Back in, back in the Old Testament, we get ten commandments. He, he speaks to Moses, and Moses writes them all down. And they're a big deal. And for centuries, those ten commands that God spoke to Moses, they're, like in, they're the crosshairs for how you live a life to be right with God. This is how you do it. All right, these 10 things, and then they started adding four or five more, and eight or 10 more, and this is what you do, and turned into 613, which is more than 10, right? God thought it was 10, and then um, everybody else added more. Now, the first four of the Ten Commandments, they, they talk about the, you know, our relationship with God and how we express our love and our worship to Him and our priorities of God over everything else. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind is all wrapped up in those first four commands, right? And, and so that seems like it's pretty simple when we talk about show love, that God is the priority in that, okay? So we're not going to really talk more about that. But the final six have to do with our relationships with others. And this is where... Um, the, the, the command that Jesus kind of supersedes everyone. And the, the commandment to love one another, it just wraps up all of those other six and the other 600 and, and puts them all together. Because if we're loving the way we should love, we're not going to do those things. For example, you should not mur murder. Okay? If I love as Christ loved me and, um, I like the, and, and I love like that person was made in his image... And I'm not gonna murder that person, right? If I'm loving the if I'm loving the Lord my God with all my heart and all my soul, I'm not gonna murder somebody who is made in the image of God. Correct? So uh, you can say, um, "Do not commit adultery." So I'm married. I'm married to Angie. We've been married for 19 years, and I don't commit adultery. But it's not because Exodus 20. In Exodus 20, God told the Israelite nation not to commit adultery, right? That's not why. I mean, I guess if you get all the way down in the basement, that's why. I'm faithful to Angie because I love her, right? Does that make sense? And one way that I express love to her is that I'm faithful to her and her alone. That's the way it works. That's to love one another as I have loved you. And the list of reasons why I love her is incredibly long. But at the top is that I, the love that I show to her is by honoring the vow that I took before God and her family and my family and a whole bunch of our friends on August the 2nd, 2003. Right? That I honor that. And that's important. And that's how our faith becomes real. It's by living it out. Not by... Adding on to it and doing more and more, okay? So, uh, because, you know, this behavior, it transitions to being a better follower. And you, you see how you take that next step. Because what's a better example of love for our kids, for Maya and Jackson? What's a better example of a godly marriage is to open up my Bible and show them Exodus 20, 14, that says, Do not be an adulterer. Thou shalt not be an adulterer, right? Or to show them every day that I love their mama. 
because it's what God has called us to be and to honor her and to cherish her for richer, for poorer, for sicker, for sickness and health and all the things that you hear in a marriage, right? That the way that I treat her and respect her and, and, and the way that I live out my life, and am I perfect at it? No. And please don't ask her, okay? Because I'm not. But that's, that's the action, the behavior that sets the tone for what people do after, right? Because we can say all we want, but people will know who you follow by what you do. They'll know how much you love by how much you do. So the way that we express love in the name of Jesus, it speaks volumes over their lives, and it's how they know we follow Jesus. Those are his words, right? And then we serve others. So we extend grace and we show love and we serve others. And when we serve others around the, in the world around us, we follow the example um, of God on the earth through the life of Jesus Christ. And um, I, this passage of Scripture just buzzes in my head all the time uh, about how honored we should be that Jesus even um, decided to spend 10 minutes here, Right? Uh, in Philippians chapter 2, uh, we'll just read um, verse 5 through 8. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. So whether it be husband and wife, whether it be brother and sister, whether it be friend to friend, whether it be coworker to coworker, whatever the case is, in your relationships, have the same mindset that Jesus had with everyone else. But here's the caveat. This is how Jesus considered himself, who, in the, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. That little phrase right there is Paul saying humans are pretty much worthless when you compare them to the deity of God, right? Who, being in the very nature of God, Okay, he made himself nothing in, the, in human likeness. So, um, and rather made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And becoming an obedient to death, even death on a cross. The passage tells the purpose for Jesus coming to earth. It's to die on the cross. That's the reason Jesus came. From the time uh, that the, the, the fruit hit Adam's tongue, Jesus knew his purpose, right? And it was to come to earth and die on the cross. But it also unpacks this unbelievable path that Jesus took to get here, to get to the cross, to even arrive to the earth, right? He's God in a body. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was there before creation. He was there during creation. He was a part of it all. And then he was born like every other baby. Right? Except in a barn. Okay? Humble. And then people treated him like he was nothing. He was a carpenter's son. Humble. There's a few things about him as a kid, and then there was nothing for 18 years. Pretty humble. Then there's three years of, of a lot, okay, where 
Um, people treated him like he was nothing, yet he served them. He loved them. He fed them. He healed them. He did everything that he could for them. He saw them for who they were, sinners that were preparing to crucify him. And when he served those around, when we serve those around us, our behavior shows that others are higher than we are, that their needs are more important than our needs, that their life is more important than our life, and that God's grace is just as much for them as it is for us. That's the mindset that we need to take, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. The focus of our behavior must always be inward and forward, okay? This is important. That it all must be, always must be inward and forward. It must be inward because we don't control the behavior of anyone else, do we? You cannot... You can tell people, you can influence them, but you don't control their behavior. And that takes judgment off the table in your, on your part. And, it ta- and, and it, what it does is it makes extending grace a priority because you know that eventually you're going to get hurt by somebody. It's going to happen because we're human and none of us are perfect. And so it's, it's all about the inward focus and forward. Forward because the past does us no good, right? It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. Have you ever heard that before? You probably heard a preacher say that before. Well, it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. The worst of the worst of our past is not what God's concerned with. You know, there's not a scoreboard in heaven with your name on it and the number of sins that you've committed. And then the number of, the, of things that you have to do to erase that. It doesn't exist. What matters is forward. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus, just it, it erases that. There's no scoreboard. He's not keeping track. You know why? One is enough. So one is all it takes. And so he's wrapped up in how our past behavior propels you forward. As you follow Jesus and as your behavior changes because of the influences that surround you, you surround yourself with, and, and that changes. And you begin to change your life because of the things that you put around you. And you change your behavior because the influence around you changes, right? And you move forward and you begin to not, not add to that board that you think might be up there because the past is irrelevant, right? Jesus called the disciples to follow him, right? He didn't say, all right, uh, James and John, I'm going to give you a week. You come back in a week, you repent of all your sins, get everything together, I'll be back here in a week, and then I'll take you on this incredible ride, and you can be my disciples, right? Is that what he did? No, he said, get out of the boat and follow me. And that's what they did. Peter, Andrew, okay, I know you guys, and you're a mess, so I'll give you a month. And you need to pay your debts. You need to talk to a couple people. And, um, and even then, we'll see. But come back here. Maybe you'll get some counseling. We'll see what happens, right? No, he just said, follow me. And they did. And they, they flipped the world upside down in Jesus' name because of what influence Jesus had on them and their behavior. 
And he created space for them to belong. And he just invited them, hey, follow. And they watched Jesus for three years extend grace and show love and serve others. And they believed that they could, and then, and they believed and they continued to follow. And then they behaved differently and they continued to follow. Then they became more and more like him. And they just continued to follow. So what does it look like to behave like a believer, right? We, we proclaim the good news. We share the gospel. We are, we're disciples that are making more disciples. We love one another. Invite others to belong. And encourage them to follow as they learn what it means to believe. And we just continue to follow us and take that next step of faith. Because we always have another one. No matter where you're at in your journey. And then we come back next week, right? And we'll talk about what it looks like to become more like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. And we're so thankful that you have such a strong influence on our lives. That the Holy Spirit is here working in each and every one of our hearts. Whether it be through the provenient grace that uh, we need to accept you as, as our Savior or the sustaining grace that we need to uh, just get through this week. Whatever it looks like, Father, in our lives, we pray that uh, we will feel your peace this week, that our behavior will resemble that, uh, that will make you um, proud, that will make you stand out in our lives, that will glorify you in a great, great way. And as we continue to extend grace in our lives to others and show love to others and serve others, that when that happens to us, when other people, we need that. We need others to extend grace to us and show us love and to serve us, that we accept that humbly because that's how the body of Christ works. And, and Father, we just uh, give our lives to you today that you'll stir in our lives and help us to put this into practice, that the things that we do matter to you. And, and it shows so much to the people that we're around, who we follow. And that's the invitation we have, is to follow you and to be a part of your life and to be a part of your kingdom and help us to continue to follow and to be more like you every day. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Have a great week. We'll hopefully see you on Wednesday night at intermission. God bless. Have a great afternoon. Ehud made him a dagger which had two edges of a cubit length, and he did gird it upon his raiment upon his right thigh.